0: Well, if you've got a copy of God's Word, I want to encourage you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9 is a book in the New Testament toward the end of your Bible. Hebrews chapter 9. I want to give you a date to write down. You need to write this date down on your note sheet. It's important. If you don't have a note sheet, you need to write it down on your hand. You need to write this date down somewhere. This is an important date. April the 26th. 1960. I want you to write that date down. It's important. You need to remember it. You need to memorize it. Now, some of you are saying, why is that date so important? Well, the reason it's so important is because that's the day I was born. (laughs) And I know some of you right now are thinking, I need to write this date down so that I can get him a present this year on April the 26th. So, write. I, I don't see you writing. That's an important date to me. Now, I want to give you another date. It's February the 5th, 2034. February the 5th, 2034. You're saying, what is that date and why is it significant? Well, there's a site. It's called deathclock.com. And when you go to deathclock.com, you put your name in, you put... When you were born, you put your, your um, gender, you put a couple of things about you, and then it tells you when you're going to die. And my day is February the 5th, 2034. Now, in case you're not one of those crazy people that are able to figure this out immediately, that's on a Sunday, and I will be 74 years old. Now, I may still be preaching at that time. I don't know, but if I am, I pray that it happens after the service. That would be a little disconcerting. I think it would probably be distracting to you if I dropped dead while I was preaching. Now, 74 isn't that old, particularly when I realized that that's only 19 years from now. And so I didn't like that too much so I checked my dad, my dad's 80, and and I checked his. I put his information in on the death clock and and all of that. And and when I clicked the thing to find out when he was going to die, it said, I'm sorry, you've already expired. (laughs) Have a good day. And, And so I realized that probably the death clock wasn't that accurate. And so then I went to the Social Security Administration. They've got a calculator on the Social Security Administration that helps you figure out how long you are going to live. And, and this is important to the Social Security Administration because they're the ones that manage Social Security, the money that the government is supposed to give you when you retire. And Social Security is running out of money and so they monitor this. And so when I went to the Social Security Administration, I did a little bit better. They said I was going to live until I was 80.9. 80.9. And I thought, that sounds better than 74, but, but that's not that old. Especially when you consider that, that I'm probably going to retire at 80. 80. That that doesn't give me a lot of time to enjoy retirement. You say, why are you not going to retire until you're 80? Because because if you followed the market recently, everything that I had for retirement is gone. I have nothing. And so as it stands right now, I'm going to enjoy about nine months of retirement. I didn't like that too much. So, so I tried to find another site, and I found one other site. It's called myabris.com. And when you go to that site... You give a little more information about yourself, what your habits are like, and how you exercise, and things like that. And it got me up to 90 years. But unfortunately, that's as far as I could go. I couldn't find any place on the internet that would get me past 90 years of age. Now, you're probably saying right now, Rocky, you really don't believe those sites, do you? And, And no, I don't believe those sites. I don't believe death clock, I don't believe social security, I don't believe my avarice. But here's what I do believe. I believe that each and every one of us has a death clock that is ticking down. And every single second, we are getting closer to that moment when we face death. And even though many of us don't like to think about death, For most of us, if we are young, it probably hardly ever enters into our mind the truth of the matter is each and every one of us are going to die. And whether you like it or not and whether you want to talk about it or not, one day, someday, no matter how old you are, you're going to die. I heard about these three buddies that were talking one day and and they were talking about death and one of them said, to the other two. He said, what do you want people to say about you when you die? And the one guy said, well, I want them to say that he was a good man. He was a good humanitarian. He, he worked in his community. The other man said, well, I want them to say that I was a good husband and I was a good father. And the other man who asked the question stood there for a moment and, and then he said, well, I want them, when they look down at me in the casket, I want them to say, look... He's moving, and I think that's what many of us would probably like people to say when they think we're dead. Tiger Woods is probably one of the best golfers of our generation, probably isn't the word. He is one of the best golfers of our generation, and and back at the height of his career, he won all four major titles in a row. So he was holding all four major golf titles at one time, they called it. The Tiger Slam. And after he won that final title, they were interviewing him. And as they were interviewing him, they asked him if Bobby Jones came back. And Bobby Jones is the greatest golfer of all time. They said, if Bobby Jones came back and talked to you, what would you say to him today? And Tiger Woods sat there for a moment. And and then he said, well, I'd probably ask him, how did you get back? And I think that that's probably what a lot of us would ask if we saw someone that came back from the dead, wouldn't we? We would want to know, how did you do it? Because I want to do that. I don't want to die and, and my life be over. I, I want to be able to come back and and come back and, and come back. But, but the fact of the matter is, listen, when you die, you're not coming back. Now, and I know there are a lot of books out there from people that, that say they died and they went to heaven or they died and they went to hell, they died and they went somewhere and, and then they came back and they told their story and they wrote books and they made movies. I, I know there are a lot of people that say things like that, but the Bible doesn't say that's how it happens. As a matter of fact, here's what the Bible says. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it says, It is appointed and the man wants to die, but after that, the judgment. Now, the Bible makes two things very clear. First of all, you're going to die. No matter who you are, no matter how old or how young you may be, you are going to die. I've had funerals for babies. I've had funerals for people that were over a hundred years of age. and, And I've had funerals for people who were everything in between. Kids, teenagers, young adults, senior adults who had lived life to its fullness. And here's the one thing that I discovered. No matter whether you die when you were a baby or you die when you are a senior adult, one day, someday, every one of us is going to die. Here's the second thing this verse teaches. Every one of us is going to face the judgment. Not some of us, not many of us, not most of us, but all of us. Now, some of you are saying, Rock, you're trying to scare us. That's what you're trying to do. You're trying to scare me into heaven or or scare the hell out of me. And and listen, I, I don't need to try to scare you. Because death and the uncertainty that death brings with it will scare you on its own. I don't need to scare you. But what I want you to do is I want you to be prepared. Because according to God's word, there's coming a day when you're going to die. And once you die, you're going to face the judgment of God. And so before you leave here this morning, I want to make sure that you're ready for that. Now let's look at those those two truths. First of all, everyone has an appointment with death. Listen to the first part of that verse. It is appointed and a man wants to die. Will Rogers once said that there are two things that are certain, death and taxes. Will Rogers was wrong. There are some people that get out of paying taxes. But the fact of the matter is, everybody dies. We all have an appointment with death. Some translations translate that verse appointed. Other translations translate that verse destined. You're destined to die. The word literally means that, that death is waiting for you. It is laid up for you. It is reserved for you. In other words, you have a reservation already on the books with death. And no matter how hard you try, no matter how much you try to avoid it, when your reservation date comes due, you're going to face death. Two teenagers were talking one day after school, and and one of them said, wouldn't it be neat to know the time and the place that you were going to die? And the other guy said, Why would it be neat? Why would it be cool to know the time and the place you're going to die? Because Then the other guy said, because I I wouldn't be there. But understand, you're going to be there. When it comes your time to die, you cannot avoid death. You're going to face death. Woody Allen once said, it's not that I'm afraid to die. I just don't want to be there when it happens. And nobody does. Nobody wants to face death, but that's an appointment we are all going to face. We may not know when, we may not know where, we may not know how, but we can know that death is coming. And we can do all kinds of things to try to prolong our life. We can have good eating habits, we can exercise regularly, we can do all of these things. And we may prolong our life, but understand Death is coming, not for some, but for all. Death is that great equalizer. I want you to listen to what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 2, verse 16. He said, we must all die, the wise and the foolish alike. Doesn't matter who you are, you're going to die. In chapter 9 of Ecclesiastes, Solomon said this. He said, it makes no difference. The same fate comes to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the bad, to those who are religious and those who are not. They die. Death comes to the old. Death comes to the young. Death comes to the rich. Death comes to the poor. Death comes to the educated. Death comes to the uneducated. Death meets people of all races and all nationalities. Understand, death is no respecter of persons. You are going to die. So everyone has an appointment with death. But the second truth that this verse teaches is this. After death comes judgment. Not for some people, not for most people, but but after death, we face the judgment. The last part of that verse says, but after this, the judgment. Now, here's what I believe. It's not death that scares us. And then you say, yes, it is. I, I don't want to die. I'm scared of death. No, hear me out. I really don't believe it's death that scares us. I believe what scares us is the uncertainty of what happens next. I mean, if we knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that after we die, this is what happens, and there are no questions, there are no guesses, there's there's no uncertainty, then death wouldn't concern us as much. But what concerns us is we've not really met anybody that died and then they came back and said, hey, it's great. Don't worry about it. It's super. It's fabulous. I've been there and, and this is what we're going to experience. None of us have met anyone who has done that. Now, here's what I've discovered about death. There's a lot of confusion. First of all, there are people that believe that when you die, you die. Death is the end. But understand, death is not the end. In other words, once we die, that's not the end of everything. If it were, then it wouldn't matter how you live your life, whether you're good or whether you're bad, because when you die, you die. The, the, the bugs in the ground eat your body, and one day you're nothing. You disappear. I mean, if that's really how it was, once we die, we're extinct, we live no more, then why worry about death? Because it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how you've lived. Once you die, you die. I mean, for some people, if death was the end, that could be a good thing, wouldn't it? I mean, if you were in immense pain all the time and death was the end, death would be the end of your pain, right? I mean, if you were constantly suffering, your life was suffering 24 hours a day, seven days a week, then death would bring the end of your pain. But the problem is death is not the end. There's something after death. And that's why most people believe that. Did you know that that a recent poll, a 2014 CBS News poll, showed that 75% of all Americans believe in life after death. 75% of all Americans believe that, that after we die, we continue to exist somewhere. Now, why do we believe that? Why, why does 75% of Americans believe that? Here's why. The Bible says God has set eternity in the hearts of all people. In other words, deep down inside... God has placed within us this knowledge that death is not the end. And no matter what anyone says to us different than that, deep down inside, we know death is not the end. There's more. There's something after death. Now, this is the amazing thing. Of of the 75% of Americans who say that they believe in life after death, 82% believe they're going to heaven. 82%. Only 2% of Americans who believe in life after death say, I'm going to hell. So 82% believe, I'm going to spend eternity in heaven. 2% believe, I'm going to spend eternity in hell. There was an article in the Chicago Tribune. It was a long time ago. It was in 1989. And the article was entitled, The People's Billionaire." It was a story about Donald Trump who was in his 30s at that time and he was already a billionaire. And this, this crew followed Donald Trump around as he worked at Trump Tower, as he lived in his home, as he was bathing his kids. This news crew followed him around and at one point they asked Donald Trump about death. And this is what Donald Trump said back in 1989. He may have changed his mind. But this is what he said back then according to the Chicago Tribune. Ultimately we all end up going. I don't believe in reincarnation. I don't believe in heaven or hell. But we all go someplace. I cannot for the life of me figure out where. Now he's got part of it right. We all end up going someplace. But the fact of the matter is the Bible makes it clear that that someplace is either heaven or hell. And so death is not the end. You continue to exist after you die. The second thing that I believe people are confused about is this. There are some people that believe that that you get a second chance. But understand there are no second chances. You see, some people believe that, that when you die, if you're not ready to go out into eternity, to become one with the universe or to go to heaven, then, then you're reincarnated over and over and over again until you finally get it right. Until you have enough good karma to either get into heaven, if that's what you believe, or, or, or you become one with the universe. But the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible doesn't teach that you get a do-over. The Bible doesn't teach that you get to take a mulligan or you get to take a retest. The Bible teaches that once you die, that's it. Next comes the judgment. And so understand, the question isn't, when we die, will we get a second chance? Because the answer is no. The question is, when we die, am I ready Job asked this question, if a man dies, will he live again? And the answer is yes. But the question, really, we need to ask is when a man dies, where is he going to live? When a woman dies, when a girl dies, when a boy dies, where are they going to live forever? And that takes us to the judgment. Because the author of Hebrews says, it's appointed unto a man wants to die. You've got a reservation with death. And then after death, you face judgment. I want you to listen to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5. He said, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him, for the things done following in the body, whether they be good or bad. Now notice that word all. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how you've lived. One day you're going to appear before Jesus And the Bible says you're going to give an account of your life. Everything you've done, everything that you've said, everything that you've thought, whether it be good or bad. And on that day, hear me, on that day, everything will be seen. Every deed done in secret. Every thought that we had while we were all alone. Every word that we uttered in haste will be seen. Those times when you cheated on a test, they're going to be seen. Those times when you got on the computer and you looked at porn, it's going to be seen. Uh, Those times when you treated somebody in a spirit of anger, that's going to be seen. Those times when you did someone wrong, that's going to be seen every single Thing is going to be seen your life in public will be seen your life in secret will be seen Hebrews 4 verse 13 says this he, God knows about everyone everywhere everything about us is bare and wide open to the all seeing eyes of our living God, nothing can be hidden from him to whom we must explain all that we have done nothing's hidden from him the one that we will stand before and have to explain what we have done. In Romans 2.16 it says, The day will surely come when at God's command, Jesus Christ will judge the secret lives of everyone. Their inmost thoughts and motives. This is all part of God's great plan, which I proclaim. Nothing is hidden from God. Now, Now there may be nothing that you're ashamed of. There may be nothing that that you are afraid of anyone else seeing, but I gotta be honest with you. My life, my life is filled with things that I don't want up here on the big screen. I don't want God to show them to anyone else. And to be honest with you, I would rather God not see some of the things that I've done. And yet the Bible says everything done, even in secret, will be laid bare before God. You can't hide anything from God. You think you got away with that? You didn't. The day of reckoning just hasn't come yet. You think nobody knew about that? God did. And one day you're going to give an account of it. Rest assured, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And when we do, everything done in secret will be seen by God. In Revelation 20, it says this: Then I saw a great white throne, and in Him who was seated on it, earth and sky fled from His presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And the books were open, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in them. Death and Hades gave over the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death in Hades was thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So the Bible says that that God recorded everything that we've ever done. And one day after we die, we will stand before Jesus and give an account. And, And the Bible says that Jesus, look at me. The Bible says Jesus, as judge, will examine the evidence and then he will render his verdict. Now, when you stand before him, you've got two options. The first option is this. You can stand before God on your own merits. You can say, I've done pretty good. I've lived an okay life. i I believe my good has outweighed my bad. After all, I'm not a murderer. I'm not a rapist. I haven't maimed and mutilated people. I'm not a terrorist. I'm not a billionaire who has taken advantage of poor people and and I've tore them down while building myself up. I haven't done those things. I feel like I'm pretty good. And And the truth of the matter is, That's where most people are. Most people believe that when they stand before God, they're going to go, God, look at my life. I Yeah, I was I was faithful to my wife most of the time. I I I I hardly ever cheated on my income tax. I I I didn't I, I didn't call in sick at work when I wasn't sick, but well God, let's not go there. And, and we, try to, we try to tell God, we try to convince God that, that we're good, that we're okay, that, that our good outweighs our bad. And, and yet the Bible says for none of us that's the case. In Romans 3, verse 10 and following, it says, There is no one righteous. Not even one of us, there's no one who understands, there's no one who seeks God. All have turned away, they have together become worthless, there's no one who does good, not even one. We have all sinned, we all fall short of the glory of God. Listen, the truth is, if you're planning on standing before God on your own merits one day, you're going to burn in hell. And I'm not trying to scare you. Just trying to be honest with you. If you think one day, someday, you're going to stand before God and you're going to say, Hey, God, I'm pretty good. I deserve to go to heaven. You're going to sadly be mistaken. And what you're saying is this you're saying, God, your son didn't need to die for me. Because I've got it together. I'm all right. I know what the Word says. I know what the Bible says. And I I recognize that that's that's for most people. But it's not for me. Because I'm pretty good. I'm okay. And if that's where you're at, you're going to spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. So you can stand before God on your own merits like most people do. Or you can stand before God on the merits of Jesus Christ. If you have a Bible, turn over from Hebrews to 1 John. It's toward the back of your Bible. And in 1 John chapter 2, there's two verses, verses 1 and 2, that give us a picture. We're not going to have time to unpack the entirety of this picture, but I want you to look at this picture. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, John says this, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. In other words, I, I, I want to keep you from sin. But if anybody does sin, and we all sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. One translation says he took our punishment for our sins, Upon himself, and not only for ours, but also the sins of the world. In Romans three twenty five, it says, "For God sent Christ Jesus to take the punishment for our sins, and to end all God's anger against us. He used Christ's blood and our faith as the means of saving us from His wrath." In this way, he was being entirely fair, even though he did not punish those who sinned in former times, for he was looking forward to the time when Christ would come and take those sins away. In Hebrews 9, verse 28, after verse 27, it says this, So also Christ died once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. So how are you standing before Jesus? I mean, that's the question that we all have to answer. Are we going to stand before Jesus on our merits? Or are we going to stand before Jesus on his merits? In 1 John chapter 2, John paints a picture. It's a courtroom scene. And in that picture, John says that the Father is on the throne. And though he doesn't say it, the picture is of Satan as the prosecutor. And, and then Jesus is the defense attorney. He's our defense attorney. And, and Satan is standing over here and he is accusing us of all of our crimes, all of our sins. And he says, your honor... Rocky Purvis. He did this. And then in graphic detail, he exposes my sin. He's not lying. he's He's not even embellishing. He's telling the truth for once. Everything that Satan says about me is true. The sin That I've committed in all of his graphic details. And then Satan sits down with a smug look on his face. And Jesus stands up. And Jesus says, Father, what Satan says is true. My client, he did all of that. Just like Satan said. As a matter of fact, Satan's going to bring up more evidence. And so let me just tell you, he is guilty of all that as well. And the reason I know is because he humbly came to me, admitting it, confessing it, seeking forgiveness. And Father, you said that if I died on the cross, I would be able to draw all men to you. And my death took away all his sins. And so, Your Honor, I demand that this case be thrown out. And the Father takes his gavel and hits the desk and he says, Case dismissed. And I get to go free because Jesus Christ paid for my sins and he is. Def- Defending me at the judgment. And the same thing that he did for me, and he will do for me, he will do for you. But you've got to come to that place where you humbly acknowledge, my best is not good enough. I am a sinner. I've lived in rebellion against God. And we humbly ask Jesus to forgive us and save us and change us. And he does. And he makes everything new. You see, one day, someday, you're going to die. Look at me, young people. I know most of y'all probably don't even ever think about death unless you've experienced the death of someone you love. But understand, death's coming. It is. It's coming for you coming for you, it's coming for you, it's coming for me. And after death, comes the judgment. And if you're not prepared, if you try to stand before the judgment seat of Christ on your own merits, you're going to perish. And you're going to spend eternity in a place called hell. But if you humbly acknowledge your sin, turning from that sin, asking Jesus to save you, And guide you. You give your life to him. He changes you. He saves you. And he makes you a brand new creation. That's the only way you're going to be ready for death. There's a story. It's a true story. About William Gladstone. William Gladstone was the prime minister of England in the 19th century. One of the, the, the most well respected men in English history. And one day... There was a young man that came to to William Gladstone and sat down with him to ask him questions. And and as he did, Gladstone started the conversation. He said, tell me a little bit about your life. What are you doing? And the young man said, well, I'm in school right now. I'm preparing for my career. I hope to go into law one day. And Gladstone said, that's good. That's great. We need good men in law. And then what? The man said, well, then I want to have a law career for a while. And after that, I'd love to go into government service. Perhaps if, if I am blessed, I'd love to be, be elected to the House of Commons one day and, and serve the people. And Gladstone said, that's great. We need people who want to serve our country. Gladstone said, what's next? He said, well, if I earn the favor of the people in the House of Commons, maybe just maybe one day. I'll be able to sit in the seat you're sitting in right now. Maybe I can be prime minister. And Gladstone said, well, somebody's got to sit in this seat. It might as well be you. But what's next? He said, well, I guess then I will retire. And, and, and I've been keeping a journal. And so after I, I, I retire, I'm going to write my memoirs. And, and I'm going to teach others the things that I've learned and learned. Gladstone said, that's great. It's it's good to pass down the knowledge, the things that we've learned to other people. Then what? And the young man said, well, I guess I'll die. Gladstone said, you're right. One day all of us are going to die. But then Gladstone said, and then what? And the young man was taken back and he said, well, I know there's something more. And I guess because of my business and preparing for school and preparing for my career, I haven't really given it that much thought. And the story glows that Gladstone stood up from behind his desk, looked the young man in the eye and said, Young man, you need to go home right now. You need to get on your knees with your Bible open. And you don't need to get up. Until you're ready for what's next. And can I say to you the same thing's true? It doesn't matter how young or how old, if you're not ready to face the judgment of God, you need to get ready today. And so I want you to bow your head with me. I want you to close your eyes, every head bowed, every eye closed. We've had an incredible weekend for our students at Epic, and we've had a number of them that have given their lives to Jesus. Some of those are going to be baptized in just a few moments in this service. But I believe with all my heart, there's others of you here who you're not ready to face the judgment. You're not ready to die. And what you need to understand today is this coming. You say, I have plenty of time. And you may, but you don't know. And so if you're here today and you're not ready to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, then I want to encourage you right here, right now to humble yourself before God. Admit your need. You are a sinner. Turn from your sin. Place your faith in Jesus. Give your life to him and let him save you. If that's what you need to do. And that's where you are today. I want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me right now. Don't pray it unless you mean it with all of your heart. Dear Jesus. I come to you today. Admitting I am a sinner. I'm not ready to stand before you. I'm guilty. Please forgive my sin. I believe you love me. I believe you died on the cross to pay for my sin. Save me today. I'm giving my life to you. From this moment on, I want to live for you, Jesus. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for saving me. Amen.